I've read the Bible through since I got saved. It took me three goes to read the Bible through from cover to cover because I would always end up in Exodus chapter 21 and it talks about, you know, never boil a a goat in its mother's milk. And I thought, yeah, I don't think I'd be tempted to do that. And, you know, don't, don't, don't mix two different types of cloth. And I think well, I don't think I'll do that. I'm not too good at making dresses and all this other stuff. And I, So on, finally on the third time through, I made my way through and then got to Kings and, and, and First and Second Samuel and the stories of Saul and David and Solomon. I thought, ah, yeah. And then I got to Ecclesiastes and I thought, yeah, yeah. Got to Song of Solomon. I thought, didn't know this sort of stuff could be in the Bible. You know, got to Ezekiel with wheels within wheels and thought, what on earth is this guy on? I don't want it. You know, it was... But having read the Bible through you know, 30 odd times. I've lost count because there were a couple of years I thought, oh, this year I'm going to concentrate on the New Testament and read all the commentaries. I concentrated on the New Testament, didn't read the commentaries. And so I can't tick that off as a year that I read. Anyway, you know the story. Sort of, but not quite. But there are certain people in the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, that I actually feel a bit sorry for. And some of them I think you should feel sorry for, others, not too sure. The first one is a guy called, have we got some pictures up there? I need to go. It didn't work. <laughs> ah, that's the sort of aeroplane I fly with the RFDS. I, I'm a, um, we do the air ambulance contract. I feel sorry for a guy called Thomas. As soon as you hear the word Thomas, what's the first word comes into your mind? Ah, oh, I love you guys. Doubting Thomas. And why is he called doubting? Because he wasn't there the week before when Jesus appeared to the other 10 surviving disciples. But you know, if Peter hadn't been there, he would have been doubting Peter. It wouldn't have been doubting Thomas. You know, because none of them believed, although John in John's gospel, he says right at the end when he saw the empty tomb, uh, but the disciple whom Jesus loved, he believed. <laughs> I think, John, actually with your heart, I think you probably did believe. But the rest of them didn't. Jesus had to rebuke their unbelief, not just Thomas's, but we call him doubting Thomas. We don't call him brave Thomas. He was the guy that, that when Jesus said, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem, I'm going to be captured, killed, and so on. Thomas actually said to the other guys, let's go with him so we can die with him. Why don't we call him brave Thomas instead of doubting? You know, traditions die hard, don't they? Another guy who I probably shouldn't feel sorry for is this guy. When you see the picture of him, you think, which disciple might this be, do you think? Yeah, you guessed it, Judas Iscariot. As soon as you hear the name Judas, you think treachery, deceiving, you know, thieving. He was actually a thief. The picture there of him, obviously it's not him, it's just a rendition of him, but he's holding the money bag because he was the treasurer for Jesus' disciples. And remember when that lady came along just before Jesus was about to die, And she anointed him with this really super expensive perfume, like this was worth a year's wages. And Judas was the one, because he was in charge of the money, and he used to say, one for Jesus, one for me. So he used to flog money from Jesus himself. And so, you know, Judas comes along and says, oh, that woman shouldn't have done that. It should have been sold for a year's wages. It could have been given to the poor, minus a certain percentage for handling fees. You know, that's what Judas was like. And because of that, because of that character flaw that he never dealt with, he ended up betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But I feel a little bit sorry for him because at the end of his life, not only is his name a byword for treachery, but also Jesus said of him, it would have been better if he'd never been born. How would you like that as the, the legacy? You know, here lies Andrew Rowe, would have been better off if he'd never been born. You think, ah, that hurts. Now you don't feel sorry for him because he betrayed the Lord, but you do feel, I feel, I feel strangely sorry for him because 
What a waste. If he just dealt with that character flaw, the story would have been completely different. Jesus would have had to have selected another treachery, treacherous person to, <laughs> so that God's will was done. Another group of people that I feel sorry for, and again, this is slightly unusual, but it's the Pharisees. If anybody was going to butt head with Jesus, it was going to be the Pharisees. And I feel sorry for them because they were so dedicated. I mean, they just didn't try and follow the 613 laws of the Old Testament. They actually made up their own rules and regulations over the centuries and tried to follow them all so that they would stay, def I'm definitely within. You know, the law says don't work on the Sabbath day. Oh, well, walking could be work if you walk far enough. How far am I allowed to walk before I have actually broken the rule? And so they would actually specify, I can't remember the exact distance. Um, I'm sorry, I should have looked that up, shouldn't I? So much for me being a teacher. <laughs> but they had a specified distance. Any further than that, you've broken the Sabbath. You need to repent, brother. You know, yeah, nasty. But they tried really, really hard. But if anybody was going to argue with Jesus, it was going to be these guys. As far as they, was, they were concerned, it was us and them. We're right, you're wrong. And so they actually divided people into different groups. So as, as far as they were concerned, there was them. Yep, next one, thanks, John. There was them. If you see them in the black there, looking all very stern. Then there was this other group that weren't quite them. There was this group of people called the Sadducees who only believed in the first five books of the Bible. They didn't believe in spirits, didn't believe in a resurrection, and they compromised politically with the Romans. They were sometimes allied with a group called the Herodians. They agreed with King, the, the King Herod and so forth. So that's the Sadducees. Then you get, I haven't even got a, an artist's rendition, sadly. I've just got the map of Samaria up there, north of, north of Judea. The Samaritans, they were ethnic and religious half-caste. Yes, they sort of had the Bible. Yes, they sort of worshipped God. But they believed that you had to worship God in Samaria, not Jerusalem. And ah, In fact, what you would do in order not to be contaminated by these filthy half-castes, if you were going from Galilee to Jerusalem to worship or to celebrate Passover, you might not even walk through Samaria. You might add two or three days to your journey just so that you could go via the Jordan and avoid them completely. All right, us and them. And then there was this third group of people who were in your midst, the sinful people, the tax collectors. I mean, not only did they take money for the Roman government, the hated, oppressive Roman government, they took money for themselves as well. Oh, how much tax do you owe? <laughs> Let me just calculate it. Let's see now, one for Rome, one for Herod, one, two, three, six for me. That'll do. We complain about our tax office sometimes. But we shouldn't really. Taxes to whom taxes are due, honour to whom honour is due. I drove on a nice smooth road all the way here from Lonnie today. What paid for that? Tax money. You know, what pays for all the services and the goods that we have? You know, the, I mean, I could say the electricity services, I suppose, but that's sort of privately owned now, isn't it? But all the same. We had a, I was saying to Nathan before that uh, we had a problem. One of our electricity transformers or something blew up caused a fence fire a couple of houses down from us. You know, we were without power for a whole, like, two hours. I know. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> two hours, and somebody was called out at half past 12 at night, not only to put the fire out, but to replace the bits that weren't working, and we had power. And we were thinking, oh, how long is this going to take? You know, we're, we're going to have... The food's going to rot in the fridge, and we're going to have to go to Woolies again tomorrow, and just to survive, I don't know how we're going to survive. You know, the, the bread will last a week, I suppose. You know, bread and water, and, you know... A couple of hours, and it was done, and it was fixed. Oh, this is amazing, you know? 
I don't know why I was telling you that. Why was I telling you that? Tax collectors, that's right. (laughs) So the problem was, when you get to somebody like Jesus, what do you do with him? He's not one of us, even though a lot of the stuff he believes in, yeah, sort of like us, but he's definitely not a a Sadducee. He's not a Samaritan, although they accused him of being one of them at times. But then he hung around with tax collectors and sinners. He actually ate with them. He, he asked one of them, a guy called Levi, who became Matthew, asked one of him to be a disciple. You know, who is this guy? You know, what category do we put him in? Is he good or bad? You get to, like in John chapter 3, where, where Nicodemus comes along and he says, we know you're a teacher come from God because no one can do the things that you do unless God's with him. But then some of the other guys said, yeah, there's a bit of a problem with that though. He doesn't fit in. One of my favourite well, it's a kid's book, but I like kid's books. Ever, anyone ever read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis? Uh, it's a show of hands. Who's read Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe? A few of you. Who has not read the book but have seen the movie? A few more. Who's never heard of this? <laughs> By C.S. Lewis, he was one of the great apologists for Christianity in the 20th century. And there's this, it's basically a, a, a story about Aslan, who was like an allegory of Jesus. He ends up dying for the, for the sake of somebody who did the wrong thing, but he comes back to life again because you can't keep the author of life down. But it's, you know, J.R. Tolkien, the guy who did the Lord of the Rings, he actually hated this because he said, you shouldn't tell stories like that. It shouldn't be just an allegory. That's weak, C.S. Lewis, but I'm so glad that he did. But there's this part where the, the children... <coughs> The four heroes of the story, uh, what is it, Peter, Edmund, Lucy, Susan, not in that order of age, they're about to meet Aslan and three of them excited but the one who did the wrong thing is not necessarily but they're about to meet him and they think he's a man but then you know they're they're talking to the beavers because in Narnia you can talk to animals and they talk back. Most of them, even the trees communicate, it's quite amazing, wouldn't that be fantastic? So, So Susan says, I thought he was a man. Uh, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about, about meeting a lion. And Mrs. Beaver says, that you will, dearie, and no mistake. She's got to have an English accent, I think. Um, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. And then Lucy says, then he isn't safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beavers tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. That gives me chills because that's what Jesus is like. A lot of the time we think Jesus was safe. Tell that to the Pharisees, man. He wasn't safe. You know, when he, you look at Matthew chapter 23, 24, woe to you, scribes, and seven times he says, seven times he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You do this, that, and the other. Heavy stuff. Somebody comes along and he wants, oh, you know, what do I need to do to receive eternal life? Obey the commands. I've done that. Oh, well, you're a rich man. You need to sell everything you have, give the money to the poor and come and follow me. That's not safe. Jesus wasn't safe and they couldn't categorise him into any small category. What do you do with a guy like that? The, the next scene that I've got up there is Jesus. You see here, remember the guy who was paralysed and was lowered down in the midst of the crowd? What did Jesus say to him? Not just, I heal you. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. And then, of course, the Pharisees said the right thing. Only God can forgive sin. Now, if I came up, I won't actually do it, but if I come up to Louis and steal his 
real $1 million note with Ned, with Ned Kelly on. I think that was probably a, a, a hint that it may not have been real, but gee, it looks right. Ask yourself the million dollar question, will you go to heaven when you die? That's the sort of note we should have in circulation. But if I was to steal from Louis, that's the wrong thing. Now, I can make restitution, that's fine, but I've still stolen. Who is that sin ultimately against? Who is the only one that can actually forgive? It's God, because there's a stain on my soul. You know? So when Jesus comes along and says, your sins are forgiven, of course they had a theological problem with that. Naturally they did. But then he says, to prove that I have authority to forgive sins on earth, I say to the man, rise, and he does. A guy who's been paralysed for years gets up and walks. There's proof. God is with him, healing. It shows that what Jesus is saying is true. What do you do with a guy like that? What box do you put him in? There is no box. So let's have a look at this next one. After he, you know, I mean, he, he's not just hanging around with tax collectors. He calls Levi to follow him, and Levi holds this huge party. And this is the result of the party. So he's there, the disciples are there, a whole bunch of tax collector mates of Levi are there, and the Pharisees are there checking out to see what Jesus is going to do next. Not just out of curiosity, but because we've got to make sure we control this guy. Things could get out of control. All right, so let's have a look at Luke chapter 5, starting from verse 29. And if you haven't got your Bible there, just follow it up on the screen. It says there, Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Uh, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. So do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away. In those days, they'll fast. Then it goes on, it says, He told them this parable, No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they've torn the new garment and the patch won't match from the new, won't match the old. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. The new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. New wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, they say, the old is better. Now the thing is, when you look at the Pharisees, thanks John, you look at the Pharisees, some of them did actually believe. In John, the Gospel of John, it actually says that they believed quietly because they were going to get chucked out of the synagogue if they said that they believed openly. You look at Nicodemus, he was actually of the Pharisee group. He came to Jesus at night because that was the safe time to come, but he believed. You look in Acts chapter 15, the Great Jerusalem Council, same deal. There's people there in the church who belong to the Pharisaical group. All right, so it wasn't impossible for them to get saved, not at all. Uh, now, what's that one? Not the All right, so let's go on to that. Uh, actually, that shouldn't have even been in there. Or should it? Yes, it should, because these are the three points. Every good sermon has three main points, right? <laughs> this is point number one. Hopefully it's a reasonable sermon, so maybe I'll have three and a half, because, you know, that's what you do. Here's one of the things Jesus said. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What do you do? How do you go from being a Pharisee to being a follower? What's the transition? I mean, I could have made a pretty decent Pharisee, I think. Maybe with a few less rules, you know, but, you know, I'm legalistic. I'm judgmental. 
I like sorting people out into us and them, like following the rules. I couldn't be a pilot if I didn't follow the rules. Imagine that, coming in on finals, 350 people down the back of a 747. I feel like doing a barrel roll. Yeah. <laughs> They'll never complain about Jetstar again after this. <laughs> Qantas, we're the airline that does aerobatics on final. Yes. <laughs> no, we have rules about that. You don't do it. I could have been a Pharisee. How do you get from being a Pharisee to a follower? So here's the first point. Um, not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous. In fact, it's not just the righteous people, it's the people who think they are righteous. You look at Paul, I don't have time to do it now because what time is this sermon supposed to finish? Wasn't it 10.30 or something? I keep going. No, I won't do that, don't worry. But here's Paul in the book, uh, to the, uh, the letter to the Philippians. He actually says, well, as far as the law was concerned, I was absolutely perfect. I was righteous. You know, as far as following any sort of religion, I was the strictest. I was a Pharisee. Born on the, you know, circumcised on the eighth day, born of the tribe of Benjamin. Man, if anybody could boast about it, I was there. And yet he's also the same one in Romans who says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, in fact, to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I think it is, he actually says, you know, this is a trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. And this was this proud Pharisee that was quite happy to kill people because they didn't believe exactly what he believed. How do you go from being a Pharisee to a follower? Well, here's another hint, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember the, the Pharisee comes in in this story that Jesus tells, goes up, lifts his hand to heaven, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other men, I'm not like even this filthy tax collector back here. I tithe of all that I possess, I fast twice a week, I am just fantastic. <laughs> and there's the tax collector standing a few paces back and uh, doesn't even bear to, to, to lift his head up to heaven and he just, you know, beats his chest as a sign of repentance is God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one do you think is justified before God? The guy at the back, not the guy at the front, puffing himself up. Those who exalt themselves, those who lift themselves up, mm -mm. but those who abase themselves will be lifted up. So the principle here, first principle, how to become a follower instead of a Pharisee, is humility. There, there it goes, humility. Instead of being a proud Pharisee, you become a humble follower. Humility, first step. The second point, let's have a look at the next scripture where Jesus said, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? No, 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 you party while the bridegroom is with them. But then when the bridegroom's gone, that's when things can change. So you remember the Ecclesiastes chapter 3? Somebody actually made a song of it years and years ago, and those of you who are as old as I am may remember it. You know, to everything, turn, 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 there is a season and a time for... Every purpose under heaven, exactly. There are times and seasons for everything, right? So there's a time, I mean, the very first one is sad, especially with what, uh, was it Ralph who was doing communion this morning? You know, I, I, I'm flying tonight. I've, I'm on duty this afternoon and tonight, and I hope that wasn't a prophecy. If you died tonight, what would, <laughs> I'm, I'm really not going to take that as a word from God, okay? <laughs> not in that way. <laughs> but there's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to rejoice and a time to mourn. And I remember back in our old church, there was this lady, good Christian lady, really liked her. Her name was Beryl. 
and her mum had died. Her mum was a believer too. And her mum had said, um, I don't want anyone to mourn at my funeral. I want it to be a time of rejoicing and celebrating because I'm with Jesus now. And uh, actually, if you have a look at this next one, it's just a little scene of a funeral. Her funeral didn't like that. There was nobody in uniform. It was indoors rather than outdoors. And, and they weren't Russian. <laughs> <clears throat> but hey, it was the best I could do, all right? <laughs> anyway, so there's Beryl, and she listens to what her mum says. So all three or four of the worship songs that we had, they weren't the slow, worshipful stuff. They were the happy, clappy, is the flag flown high over the castle, love me. And she's, she's sitting on the front row at her mum's funeral with the casket right there, and she's jumping and dancing and smiling and clapping, and man, that's a Pentecostal for you, isn't it? It just doesn't make sense. I didn't say that. <laughs> Again, square peg in a round hole, you know, saved in a Baptist church, raised as a Catholic and, and ended up as a Pentecostal. You think, no wonder, <laughs> just don't fit. <laughs> but there was just something inappropriate about what, what Beryl did. Now, I know what Paul said. He, he said to the Thessalonians, look, when, when people die, when people fall asleep, I don't want you to misunderstand. We don't mourn like unbelievers do who have no hope. They've lost their loved one and as far as they know, that's it. They'll never see them again. When you're a believer, burying a believing relative, a loved one, you know, you believe in your heart, you're going to see him again in eternity. It's not forever. But you're still going to miss them, all right? You're still going to miss them. Speaking of missing, this next photo, this is a shot of my family. You see my boy right in the middle. I've just moved him down to Hobart two weeks ago because he's doing his second year of engineering. And I am so glad that I went down just him and me because when I, when I, you know, we set him up and bought some food and set him all up and came to quarter to four and he says, Dad, will you, will you pray for me before you go? I, yeah, I'll try. <laughs> I, I hate crying. It gives me a headache. And I'm not overly emotional like that. I feel it, I feel it on the inside, you know. You don't want to show it on the outside. But I'm trying to pray for my boy and bless him. And thankfully, it's two weeks ago. He's doing well. He's, he, it feels like home. Uni feels like uni did in Lonnie, so it's all good. And we're FaceTiming him every night. So we've, we've, we've seen his face almost every night. But all the same, as I'm driving away, it's like there's a dead animal in my car. Or a dying animal, I should say. Dead animals don't make too much noise. They just stink. It was a dying animal. I was weeping and sobbing like I don't know what. And, and for 20 minutes on the way back from Hobart, I was almost... I was almost dangerous because there's so many tears in my eyes. And like I said, I'm not overly emotional like that, but my boy's moving out. My boy's moving out, and it's hard. And bless him and all this other stuff. And 20 minutes later, finally, I've sort of calmed down, and every now and then, you know, every 50 kilometres, my boy's not with me again, and I'd cry again. And by the time I got home, it was okay, but, you know, bleary-eyed. But the thing is... One thing you've got to recognise, if you're going to be going from Pharisee to follower, just as Jesus said, there is a time to fast, but there is a time to rejoice as well. There's a time for every purpose under heaven. There's a time to mourn, but it's because you've got to recognise the seasons. You've got to recognise the season. When Jesus is with you, it's time to rejoice. And yeah, we don't have Jesus physically with us, but we've got the Holy Spirit with us as his replacement. We've got the word of God to show us you know, what, what he said and to believe it and to change your life, you've got to recognise the season. And that was something the Pharisees were never good at. And then the last one. I told you there'd be three points. Here's the last one. He said, no one, and thank you very much for doing that new song. It wasn't 
completely planned, although when Louie and I talked about a month ago, I thought, oh, you're going to do that new song. That'll fit really nicely. I think God must be in this. Cool song. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. But if you're going to have new wine going into us, we've got to be a new wineskin. Now, here's something that's going to really disgust or would really disgust. This next bit. Have a look at this next one. Why is it called a wineskin? Because it's actually made out of animal skin. Now, I don't drink wine myself. That's just, I've never really liked the taste of it. But at least if I did, or if I add it to like really nice red wine on a, on a roast dinner, four hours in the oven, slow cook, you know, it comes out, yeah, just sort of, anyway, that's my problem. I love roast dinners. So these wineskins, though, they didn't have bottles back then. In order for the wine to be able to expand, the wineskin had to be new. It was specially treated, it was all clean, it was hygienic, sort of. They'd tan it, they'd oil it, they'd sew it together, and it was watertight, or in this case, wine tight. And when the wine started to ferment, it expanded, and the, the, the new wine skin could actually cope because it was flexible. All right? You've got to have a new wine skin for new wine. Otherwise, if it's brittle, the wine expands, the thing cracks, the wine drips out, and you can't even use the wine skin for water, let alone anything else. All right? So that's what we need to be. We need to be like the new wine skins. All right, we need to be able to expand as God's word comes into us and expands us. So let's just quickly have a look at these next three ones. That means having an open mind. You don't just come along and say, I know what I believe, I've believed it for 20 years and no one's going to change my mind even if I can see it proven. That's the problem with another denomination that I no longer belong to. They believe that, you may need to cut this out, Louis. I, hey, whatever. Those who, I, I've known plenty of beautiful Christians, but you look at Matthew chapter 1, where it talks about, and Mary and Joseph did not come together, in a marital sense, until after Jesus was born. She was a virgin before the birth, but then after that, where do you think the other kids came from? So then you've got to invent this, you've got to invent this other story, oh well, they were actually older brothers and sisters to another wife, and they weren't actually, no, you've got to do mental gymnastics. If you have a baby being born, and I said, the baby did not start breathing until the doctor smacked it on the bottom and then it started breathing. You would assume that once the doctor you know, smacked it, the baby continued breathing for the rest of its life. That's sort of an assumption. They didn't come together as husband and wife until after Jesus was born. Sort of indicates that maybe they had normal marital relations after, you know, doesn't it? But, you know, open mind. It doesn't mean forgetting all those things that we believe in, the things like Jesus died for our sins, the fact that he rose again, the fact that he's coming back. We don't give up those things, but it means that some of those other things, you've got to be open-minded enough for the Bible to be able to change your mind, all right? The word of God is superior to our brains, all right? Also, it means having a receptive heart. Just quickly, in the book of Acts, there's this group of people from a town called Berea, and it says they were more noble-minded than the people in other towns who were persecuting Paul. Because they, when, they, when Paul preached, they heard the message, they received it with joy, and then checked it out in Scripture for themselves to make sure what he was saying was true. So they received it, but also checked it out. I love that combination of a receptive heart and an active mind. Not being gull I, I hate the idea of being gullible. Maybe it's my own personal pride, but I don't want to be taken in by rubbish, all right? When something comes along, I and it's genuinely from God, I want to have that open heart to receive. I want to have the open mind, you know, to, to, to believe when it's proven from the Word of God and when it makes sense. 
but I don't want to be stupid about it. You know, that's, again, that's just me. But the other thing about going from Pharisee to follower with this, this whole new wineskin thing is that you concentrate on the big picture. I'll tell you a, a quick personal story from my own church. When I was looking for a church, when I came down here, I was basically pretty burned out from ministry and just wanted something different to what I had been experiencing in Melbourne. And so we went around to like five, six, seven, eight, eight or nine different churches. Finally found one, which is the church that we're still at, because I'm a stick in the mud and I just don't change very easily. But this church had tables. We all met around tables, which was good if you were facing the front, but not so good if you were facing the back, because then during the message, I'm a note taker. I like taking notes during sermons because it keeps me awake. Um, And it means that when I want to refer to something, oh, look at this later on, check check out this to make sure it's true. But it meant that I had to then turn around and I couldn't write notes as easily. But then we decided to change. We decided that having a setup like this with people just facing the front, and we've got three things and it's and, you know, four, three or four sections, and, but we had to actually set up a couple of tables at the back for those people who said, no, nah, not for us. We've got to have tables because that's the way I like it. Is that a big picture thing or a small picture thing? Yeah. Now, thankfully, we didn't lose anybody over that. And even the people that complained about it, they only come once a month anyway, so yeah, they, shouldn't, they should get a quarter of a vote when it comes to decisions like that. But it's not big picture. We've got bigger issues than that. Following Jesus, loving God, loving people, our neighbour as ourselves, and then getting out there and telling other people and sharing the gospel. They're the big issues, aren't they? The Pharisees, me, <laughs> when I'm operating as a Pharisee, I'm concentrating on the small issues. And it ain't good. (laughs) So we're going to ignore this next one because time's marched on. It's all because Ralph took too long at communion anyway. (laughs) But even at work, I'll just say this. Let's go to the next one. Even at work, I have to be flexible. We used to have this old aeroplane and it had all the dials and switches. Let's have a look at the next one. Had all these dials and switches, and, 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 and it was really old fashioned. And then we got this new aeroplane with TV screens. And you, after you start the engines, you've got to spend the next five minutes programming the flight into this flight management system. And you think, ah. And you look at the old one, and you think, oh, that's so much more impressive because people look at that and say, how do you find anything? Oh, I'm just brilliant, like all other pilots, of course. <laughs> As if I've known some pretty dumb ones. But the thing is, one of our pilots who's just recently retired due to ill health, he looked at the old aeroplane and thought, that was real flying. You know, that was when I could be a real pilot. Now all I'm doing is punching buttons. But you can't stop it because this is the new aeroplane. You know, the old one's actually been sold off because it was getting old and somebody else can use it instead. You know, we've got to have a good, new, reliable aircraft each time we get a new contract. We've got patients down the back that we need to take care of, so you get a new aeroplane. With new stretchers and a crane inside instead of the old stretcher loading system. And you've got this new way of flying. and it's, ah, ah, ah. You can whinge about it or you can just go with the flow and say, this is the way it is, let's get on with it. We've got a job to do. My job is to get patients from A to B. Paramedic's job is to clean up all the mess down the back. I think, phew, I am so glad I'm up the front. I don't have to put up. Anyway, that's another story. (laughs) But what do you need to become a follower instead of a Pharisee like me? You know, I don't know if anybody else here who could have been a Pharisee, could have been a really good Pharisee following the rules, a few nods, honest people. (laughs) What do you need? You need humility to admit, hey, maybe I can do the wrong thing at times. You need to recognise the seasons. Hey, maybe it's not appropriate to just keep with the pews. You know, maybe we, you know, maybe we could have chairs instead because they're a lot more comfortable. 
you need to be flexible because things change, times change. You need to get rid of the tables at times. You need to, like we changed our name, we changed our service time from 11 o'clock to 10 o'clock so that people could go home and have some lunch together. Thankfully, that wasn't a controversial one. Everyone agreed with that, except the music team who had to get there even you know, earlier. You know, it's always the musicians and the sound guy. Our sound guy gets there an hour before us, so we've got nothing to complain about. But that's what you need, to become a follower instead of a Pharisee, and that's what Jesus wants. God only wants the best. Remember, Jesus isn't safe, but he is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You love us so much, you don't keep us in the same place. You don't leave us to rot you know, like the Pharisees wanted to. But instead, you call us to grow and to change and to become more and more like you. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy <laughs> because we've already sung it, you are an awesome God. I pray that you would bless this church, bless its leaders, bless its people, and bless the effect that it has on this wonderful town of Olveston. I pray your blessing upon this church and may this year be a wonderful and blessed year for everyone here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much.